This podcast covers all things health, your body, your brain, and your well-being. Each week, we'll be joined by doctors, as well as the occasional guest, to talk about the health topics that mean the most to you. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Participating in a Parkinson's support group is a rewarding experience for many people with the disease and their care partners. Sharing experiences, problems, emotions, and tips with other people in like situations can provide knowledge, solutions, and emotional support. In this episode, based on their years of involvement with support groups, Licensed clinical social workers Allison Allen and Ann Kosum of Duke University talk about the benefits that people with PD and their care partners can derive from participating in a support group. They also discuss some of the considerations for starting a new group. First, Allison put their cards on the table and admitted their bias about support groups because we love them. We're social workers and we've seen folks benefit from them. So at our center, we've actually got about three groups and Ann and I co-facilitate two of them and we're starting a new one in 2021. 
You know, I think one of the things that happens all the time for us when we mention a group to someone, a new patient or someone we've seen for the first time, sometimes we get this look like they're hesitant or reluctant to visit a group. And I think a lot of times people have some fears that they're nervous about sharing their story. They're worried about it being a negative place or sad stories that they might hear, or they're just worried about seeing people who have more advanced symptoms of PD. But we encourage people to try at least one meeting. There's no commitment. And certainly with a virtual format, they can easily do that. We really hope that people will experience some of the benefits, you know, on a first meeting. And we totally understand these concerns, but we don't want one bad experience to really turn you off from finding a group that could be a perfect fit for you. Again, we totally understand some of these concerns, but truthfully, this has not been what our experiences have been or what we've seen. Most of our groups feel full of hope and solution-focused, full of positivity, and just making connections and learning from each other. I mean, those right there are the biggest benefits, and they take time. In terms of a benefit is people so often have family and friends and people in their life who want to be supportive, but they don't know anything about Parkinson's. And when they go to a group, they're finally surrounded by people who get it, who totally are where they are. You know, they've been there. And that is usually the biggest benefit that a group can offer. Yeah, it's it's really cool to see folks participating in the group, the folks that are newer to the group and perhaps more experienced in a group situation because it's a two-way street. So for folks that have been around for a while, they're having an opportunity to make meaning out of maybe a tough experience, could be Parkinson's, for example. So it's truly an opportunity to give and take. It's It goes both ways. And of course, they share resources, solutions from what they've been through as well. Right. I was wondering some of the specifics about what goes on that makes these beneficial encounters. It's a way to learn and a way to learn together. So our group actually sat down a couple years ago, even though we had been together for a while, one of our groups sat down a couple years ago and decided to define a mission statement. We created it together as a group and we decided together that one of the goals was education and learning together. So for example, at that time we changed our format. We meet monthly, but every other month we bring in a speaker, an expert speaker on a relevant topic. We have an activity. And then on the alternate months, we really have pure psychosocial support groups where we meet in small groups and have the opportunity to connect with each other one-on-one. Sometimes we do that on shared experiences, perhaps folks that are newly diagnosed or in smaller groups of care partners or caregivers. And other times we just kind of do it randomly. It's really neat to find and make new connections. A side note, too, to that format and moving to that format is it allows people who are a little nervous or hesitant, that they can come for the first time when it's a topic. So that's pretty non-threatening because we're all learning together and they don't have to really participate. They could sort of come experience alongside everybody and get their feet wet before they come to one that's more of a sharing type of month. What makes a group successful? I take it you do have to put some energy into them to uh, keep them attracting people and being interesting enough to support itself. Yeah, that's a really good point. So showing up is just half the battle here. (laughs) There's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to find something that, you know, works for you, perhaps as a facilitator. But for members, even though they may be connected on a shared experience, they may be in very different stages of their experience or life. So one of the good news is, is that there's a lot of different types of groups. So you can 
kind of experiment a little bit. I mean, right now, pretty much everything is virtual, right? But in the old days, you could decide, is this a virtual group or an in-person group? So you want to find something that fits for your population, for your folks. So, you know, if you've got a lot of folks who are going to work during the day, you might need to think about the time of day, or perhaps a virtual group would be a better fit there. You need to think about how you advertise, how you reach people, and things like that. A lot of groups had to make really sudden transitions last year about this time or, you know, 10 months ago or something like that. And we were blown away because we were a bit unsure this group that we had a solid group that had been meeting in person for years, you know, would we continue to be successful at supporting each other and making connections with a new or a, a different model? But it's been great. We've really been blown away by how adaptive everybody has been. It's been a group experience to learn together, to learn a new way. And truthfully, it's actually opened some new doors to opportunities that that particular group meeting model didn't have before. We can bring in speakers from out of town, folks who had maybe more serious mobility issues can participate more easily now. And really just the list goes on and on from kind of the planning perspective, the logistics part. And I would say for support group leaders, often they're tempted to gauge the success of their group on the number of people who attend. But when I think of success of a group, it's are the people who attend getting what they need out of it? And some of the most impactful, powerful group moments I've been a part of throughout my career have come when it's a smaller group. So I would just say not to get caught up as a leader of the numbers and how many people come, but is it what you want it to be? And are people really walking away feeling like they got something? Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, groups are living, breathing things on their own and they're malleable and you can change. So as a support group leader or a support group member, you know, feel free to make suggestions. You know, does your group have a more formal agenda and education or is it more of the support group model? Like I said before, one of our groups kind of has a hybrid as opposed to this new group that will be starting this year, which is more of a meetup style, for example. You can also talk about you know, having a peer facilitator versus a professional facilitator. So there's lots of things that go into planning that can make it successful. But like Anne said, the folks that are benefiting from the group are the ones to gauge the success the most. I suppose you don't have to be just going to one support group. You can kind of shop around just because you're in North Carolina doesn't mean you can't go online and say, I'm going to Zoom participate in this one in San Diego. Absolutely. I mean, that's exactly right. Um, and we encourage that because the key really is finding what works for you. What is the best fit for you? You know, they can change over time. So maybe even one that somebody visited one time, they go a year later and it's kind of a different dynamic or a different new people who are there. You know, I also think for people with Parkinson's and their care partners, you know, sometimes they'll want to go together. Sometimes the person with Parkins isn't really interested in a group and doesn't want to go, but it is fine for the care partner to go by themselves or vice versa. It's just a matter of finding what works for you. And, you know, some of our cool group ideas have come when our people have gone to other places or heard about other things and come back and said, hey, can we try this? So we really encourage everybody doing what works for them. And hey, if it works, bring it back so we can try it. Besides going to an already existing group, if there's nothing in your area and you do want something local, what kind of advice do you have for people who want to start a group? Starting a group, just like any new project, can be overwhelming, You know, particularly if there aren't a lot of groups in your area or you haven't had a lot of opportunity even to attend a group, for example. So right out the gate, what I would think about is 
who could you partner with for this project? So nobody is purely an expert on their own. <laughs> Group effort, combining skills, combining forces, I think is really the way forward here. We've actually found collaboration to really be the most effective way to reach the most people. So, for example, Anne and I worked together with a what we call sort of a support group planning committee for one of our very large, our largest group. That committee is made up of Anne and myself, as well as folks with Parkinson's and several care partners who volunteer, who've just said that they want to be involved. It really helps to widen the ideas. We get more diverse ideas, diverse speakers, and also just to share the responsibilities, for example, with note taking and things like that. A lot of times, like Anne mentioned, these ideas come up super organically. Like, for example, we've been talking with the folks who have young onset Parkinson's about some of the gaps in resources. And we were talking about how we could support each other. And it came up that, you know, possibly a new and kind of unique group would be the way forward. And we all recognize that working together would be the best way. Anne and I have some facilitation skills as social workers, but the folks that came to us are really the ones with the real expertise. And there's just no replacement for that. This has been an opportunity to show working together from the very beginning also. Are there any caveats or things to watch out for being in a group? I take it it's not always smooth sailing. Of course not. You're bringing together very different personalities. And, you know, sometimes there's people who are more outspoken, opinionated, have thoughts about everything. And then you have other people who tend to be a little more reserved and may be reluctant to speak up. And what I think is really important with a group is starting with some ground rules and establishing those together of just the importance of no interrupting, letting everybody take a turn. Let's have it be a goal that we give everybody who wants to share an opportunity to share. And just reiterating that at the beginning of each group and certainly Everything that is said in the group stays in the group. Confidentiality is very important um, so that people can feel safe sharing. You know, I think that's something to watch out for, but the beauty is, is all the resources available to someone who wants to do this. You know, as Center of Excellence coordinators, clinical social workers, while we have a couple of groups that we specifically lead, Certainly, we have been contacted over the years by other groups who've called to ask us questions or thoughts. We are available that if any of our folks wanted to start something in Wilmington or another part of the state that we're not in, if they had questions and concerns and how do I deal with a challenging participant or how should I handle this? We would be very willing and ready to help. And I'm sure that all this COE coordinators and social workers would feel the same because our goal is to get everybody the resources they need. There's one really solid resource that we actually refer to ourselves when we're kind of making a change or as we've been starting this new group, for example. So the Parkinson's Foundation has a resource guide for folks who are looking at starting a group. It goes through a lot of those logistical things that I mentioned before, everything from, you know, your space, if it is in person, the time of day that you're going to meet, how you're going to advertise, how you're going to connect. What is the purpose of the group? What are you hoping to gain from it? All those things and some of those difficult situations are really spelled out there. The main takeaway from that is that there's so many different ways to care for each other in this way. You want to, if you're looking for a group, find the one that is a good fit for you and know that there's other options out there. And if you're starting a group, know that you're not sort of committed to one way. I take it these are sort of dynamic organizations, people coming in, leaving, coming occasionally, people having different goals or personalities. 
So it sounds like, as with anything dynamic, it requires input of energy to keep it moving. So how do you come up with the energy? Who's in charge? Is it a facilitator? Is it a leader? Is it on a rotating basis? What would you suggest? Our group, we tend to co-lead it. Right now, as we said, it's moved to a virtual platform. So Alice and I are both on there as co-hosts and we share the responsibility of leading it. And then certainly if it's a topic-based, then we do an introduction, do some announcements, and then hand it over to the speaker. If it's one of our groups that it's an interactive group, we tend to start together and then we will break up into breakout rooms so that we have smaller groups of people able to talk and really connect. You know, this group has been going on for many, many years, and I've been a part of it for five or six years now, I guess five years. What I have found or what I first was worried about, I guess, was repeating sort of topics or repeating ways connecting with each other. But really doing things more than once and over time is good. That's how you build on things. And like you said before, there are always new folks. Our groups are open groups, which mean you can come at any time. There are groups where they're more sort of curricula focused, sort of eight week skills groups or things like that. And that's not what we're talking about in these situations. So I would just have to go back to that collaboration. It's a group effort. No one person has all the ideas, I promise you. So it is okay to kind of recycle ideas and come at them with a new perspective or a new speaker because your audience will be changing. And let's face it, we get different things from the same information at different points in our life. But also just working together and collaborating is just going to get you more bang for your buck here. I feel that it would be silly for me to sort of lead this group without the input of folks that are really living well with Parkinson's and care partners. What have we missed or would be interesting to add? My best suggestion is if you haven't been a member of a group before or haven't attended a group or have been thinking about it, give it a try. Figure out what works for you. Try some different things and see what happens. Some people have had a bad experience before in some other kind of group and not everything's for everybody, but we all learn differently. It's very rare that we have people attend our groups who didn't have some experience or get some kind of help from it. At least that's a feedback that we get. And I think if someone's even listening to this podcast, there's probably some curiosity there about groups. So my suggestion would be just try it. I totally have to agree. These are a lot of the concerns that we hear, but if you can look past them, here are the benefits. And we know that they're there. We know that they're out there. But now is a great time. Things that are virtual, it's not nearly as big of a deal to sort of sign in and maybe turn your camera on or maybe not turn your camera on and benefit from a conversation over Zoom. So I feel like now is a really good time to give a group a try if you're considering it. Any other nutshell messages or parting words? Just remember the resources you have at your fingertips. I think it's easy for the people who live right next to a center of excellence or who already go to one to feel like they have more access to resource. But the reality is with the Parkinson's Foundation has established these centers of excellence so that they can be available to all. So I would really welcome and encourage folks who feel like they need some help or they wanna get connected to a group or they wanna start a group, you know, your social workers, your center of excellence coordinators to help you find the right support services for you. And certainly use all the resources of the Parkinson's Foundation. The website really has so much on it. Absolutely. There's so much available for folks. No one should feel alone with this. 
everybody should feel like there's areas and modes of support for them. It's just a matter of finding out which is the best for them. Very good. I really appreciate it. Thanks for all the information. We've covered a lot of ground, and I think it's a good starting point for anybody who wants to get into a group or start one. Here is a quick word from our sponsor. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least. Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy, who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.